You're listening to the EdUp Worldwide podcast in partnership with the Star Scholars Network. I'm your host Rajika Pandari, where each week I bring you my take on the intersections between education, culture, and migration. This podcast is inspired by my recent book, America Calling: A Foreign Student in a Country of Possibility, which reveals how education connects the world. Conversations about why education is important in opening our hearts and minds to the world have never been more important, as countries and individuals have increasingly turned inwards and away from each other. So join me each week as we go behind the scenes for illuminating and deeply personal conversations with diverse global voices, international students, international education experts, migrants and immigrants. authors and artists as we explore the varied ways in which the world connects through education we often talk about the many different ways in which to empower girls and women around the world more education better health better nutrition voting rights but what if the future of women could be changed by something as technical and seemingly basic like coding or computer programming this is exactly the solution that my guest farishte farooq came up with as she struggled with her own experiences of growing up as an afghani refugee in iran when farishte became an accidental and somewhat reluctant computer science student she came to realize that the key to empowering afghani women perhaps lay in technology helping them learn and become financially independent one keystroke at a time through her work and her organization code to inspire farishte is an inspiration and global ambassador for girls and women all over the world in this conversation she and i talk about her early experiences of becoming a refugee in iran why access to education matters how her own education in afghanistan and being an international student in germany shaped her vision to be- establish a coding school for women in afghanistan and why financial independence matters for women Fereshte it's so wonderful to have you join me today and thank you so much for making time to come on the worldwise uh, podcast Absolutely well thank you so much for having me Rajka and happy to share my story in your amazing platform Thank you so much now you know I want to start with um a quote that you often use in your work and you quote the Persian poet Rumi who has said that where there is ruin there is hope for the for uh, for a treasure so let me say that again where there is ruin there is hope for a treasure so what do these words mean to you yes well you know what when we talk about afghanistan in based on my personal experience um people tend to kind of like think about afghanistan as a ruined land and you know with a great image at the top of their head um and it's kind of like i guess difficult for people to think that good stories about afghanistan and i think that's something that um i want to change 
that narrative of Afghanistan being a ruined land and, you know, women are always, uh, you know, oppressed or they, they don't exercise, um, some of the, uh, the things that, you know, other women around the world do. Um, so certainly for me, being born as a refugee who grew up, you know, her entire life dealing with discriminations, um, forced to hide uh, my identity, um, war and conflict and ruin, I have a different meaning. And, and of course, right now, looking at Afghanistan and the situation that's happening for women, um, it made me to think more about this and saying that even in, in the ruins, you can find something that is valuable to you. And to me, the girls in Afghanistan are treasures and investing in their future through technology education, providing them enough resources is where ruins have meaning and value. So it always stays very close to me. And I think that's something that keeps me hopeful to move forward even in the darkest time um, that we're experiencing now with what's happening on the ground in Afghanistan for girls and women. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and, um, and you know, with what you started with saying, what you started out with is so true that there are so many um, stereotypical and uh, limited narratives of certain countries, particularly in, uh, in the West. And yet when we look at the part of the world that you come from and the countries that you've um, spent your life in, in Afghanistan and Iran, um, in many ways, if we look back historically, these have been um, ancient countries that, that, uh, um, that have had so many advancements over history, and yet we tend to forget that because we tend to focus just on um, sort of the more recent history of those uh, of of those countries. So um, I want to talk about. I mean, you mentioned um, becoming a refugee, and um, uh, can you talk a little bit about how becoming a refugee impacted um, you and your family? And uh, I would also love to hear a little bit about your educational journey. And, and it's something I'm very interested in because, you know, at the heart of this podcast is uh, the idea of education and how it connects the world. So talk to us a little bit about the impact of uh, that experience on your family, what your own educational journey was like. And then you, um, the third part I'll add to that is you ended up majoring in computer science, which is really interesting to me. And uh, so if you could talk a little bit about that as well. Yes, absolutely. Well, the refugee part, um, sadly or unfortunately, my family had to leave Afghanistan early 80s during the Soviet invasion. And like many other family, they wanted to find a safe haven for their children and, you know, have a, a better future for them. And because my parents are from Herat, it's a city in the west part of Afghanistan. Uh, so it's closer to Iran. Um, so they, they went to Iran. Therefore, I was born in Iran um, as a refugee um, and finished my high school in Iran. Um, certainly being born as a refugee, there's a lot of challenges and discriminations you face just because of the indifferences you have. And for me and a lot of other Afghan refugees in Iran, to access education was a big obstacle. 
every year we had to get a certain um, permit from um, the education department in the city in order to be able to register in the school. Um, and if we weren't able to obtain that paper, we would have missed one year of education that happened to one of my siblings. So just growing up with the fear of that either I would be able to go to school or not was always with me. And just, you know, because you're a refugee, there are uh, certain services that you would be uh, not able to access, such as financial services, employment opportunities. And that makes the life a bit difficult. And um, and I remember that my mom, um, who were coming from a you know wealthier background and a family, had to leave everything behind and start learning something, you know, to, to help the family with its financial uh, resources. So she learned how to stitch and make dresses, and by selling them, she could bring money to the family uh, and invest in our education. Um, and from that such young age, I learned that you know, great things can start with empty hands. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to have everything ready for you to, to do something. Um, and I think that was the reason that I learned entrepreneurship in such a young age. Um, and my major in high school was more literature. Uh, I was very interested in, you know, literature, poetry, uh, law, and journalism. Um, but then 2001, when the um, with the fall of the Taliban and U.S. invasion to Afghanistan, um, things have changed on the ground. And for a lot of refugees like my family, people thought that it's time for us to go back, you know, to our country. And there might be more opportunities with the international community uh, present in Afghanistan and their support. Um, and that's why my family and I, we moved to Afghanistan, to Herat, 2002. Um, and I remember that, you know, I um, started to get prepared for the university entrance exam. Um, I did the entrance exam, and it's interesting because my background was literature. I really didn't have much of a knowledge of science subjects such as math, you know, physics, mm -hmm. uh, chemistry, and, um, and I couldn't reply a lot of, of those questions. Uh, but for some reason, I think the system picked computer science for me and matched my score, which was uh, a little bit, uh, I wasn't very happy about that decision because I was like, I don't know math, you know, I'm upset. It, I, I wanted to pursue something in journalism, law, literature. Um, but I remember that my parents were really encouraging and they said, you do have a little bit of a decent English uh, knowledge and it seems that computer is about English and it's also like a field of the future so maybe just try it mm -hmm. and if you like it then that would that's nice and if not then you can change your field of study and and then I went to to the computer science faculty for the first week um, it was a certainly a bittersweet experience because the first day I was just exposed to <laughs> um, a lot of math questions on the board and yeah, I, I really was, I was so scared. I was like, oh my God, I don't know. And I can't answer those questions. And I got so disappointed. But then the next couple of days, we had subjects uh, that the teachers were teaching in English, which I could understand and translate for my classmates. And a lot of them were around, you know, introduction to programming, algorithm, problem solving. And I really liked it. I think I like the creativity and um, 
the problem solving aspect of it. It's like a puzzle, you know, you have a problem mm-hmm. and you try to find a solution for it. And I think that's was the reason for me to kind of compromise with math and then continue my education and then later on um, finish my bachelor in computer science in Herat University and later receive a scholarship and go to Germany and get my master's in computer science from the Technical University of Berlin. Mm-hmm. That's a fascinating story. And I think you described that so beautifully, because uh, that's exactly it, right? About fields like computer science, that there's a real creativity to it, but there's also a certain precision that can be very satisfying. And I think you um, you sort of described uh, described that just uh, just right. So in many ways, you were an accidental computer science student. And then here, here you are, fast forward teaching coding to young women, but we'll, we'll get to that in a minute. But it's a really, really, really fascinating story. And, and before we move on, a quick question that I'm curious about. So you join this class, um, you enroll in this degree in computer science at Herat University. I'm just curious, um, were you the only woman in your class or how many women were there? Because I'm always interested in, um, which I know I'm sure is a issue deep to close to your heart as well, and sort of the how many women are in the STEM field. So I'm just curious, uh, were, how many women were there? Yeah, that's a great question. Well, when I was a student, um, there weren't a lot of uh, the girls in my class. We were certainly outnumbered. I, I say I can can tell that like we were probably 10 girls, 10 to 11 girls, and then the, the boys of the class were like 60 to 70. Um, mm-hmm. And then even with the next cohort, the number and proportion of women were still not much. Um, and even when I became uh, a professor in the university, so when I went back from my master's, um, I taught for three years in the computer science faculty of Harad University. And, even that time, certainly the number uh, was increasing compared to when I was a student, but still it, it wasn't as much as, you know, I think it should be. And, and again, the reason I guess go back to um, the, the, the environment and, the, you know, that the, the this field of study is something still new and not a lot of girls feel comfortable coming to STEM and technical field of study. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And actually, I think it's really unfortunate that I think we still see a lot of that bias globally and, you know, right here in the U.S. as well, which I know you're your is a country you're very familiar with as well, that, you know, those gaps uh, both in um, pursuing the STEM fields, um, but also pursuing careers related to those fields, uh, those gaps really remain for for women. So um, I want to go back to your master's degree in Germany, and um, you mentioned a scholarship. So how did that come about? And what I'm curious about uh, also is how did that experience of being able to study abroad influence you and uh, the work that you went on to do? Well, um, Technical University of Berlin uh, made a partnership with the a minister of Higher Education in Afghanistan to provide um, technical resources such as curriculum and you know teachers and exchange programs and I was part of uh, the exchange program a couple of times and then 
uh, for the first time they announced that they are going to provide a master program um, and um, around Afghanistan there were 100 applicants who took the exam for this master program and then they uh, picked a top 25 and I was one of those um, 25 students who got the master program scholarship. Um, definitely studying abroad like open your eyes not only you are experiencing a different culture um, and you know um, learning about the language the culture the, the traditions of that country which is fun and you know it, it's always great to uh, learn about you know other cultures and people um, but also in case of education of course the, the, the educational framework and the system was very different than Afghanistan and I think to me first of all the, the the resources that there were so much resources available for students was amazing you know there was a lot of computer labs that you could go anytime you want freely and use as you know practice on your projects and at the libraries um, in that you know are huge and there are a lot of resources books that you can go um, and that was something that really like in general in Afghanistan but certainly for computer science faculty we didn't have much of the resources like that and the flexibility you know as a woman to be able to go and access mm -hmm. them without mm -hmm. feeling unsafe you know in a very safe educational environment was very um, pleasant to me um, and of course you know um, just the curriculum and the resources to be very uh, project oriented very practical you know and student oriented it's certainly up to the students more than to the mentor or professor to guide them um, and I think that was something eye-opening for me to understand that like uh, you have to be you know open to learn new things and explore things and not only rely on what the university is giving to you which is something that as a traditional way I think is being taught in a lot of uh, places and still in Afghanistan. So uh, I really valued those experiences. And I think that was something that changed my perspective towards education and especially for the girls and women in technology. Mm -hmm. And thank you for sharing that. And then sort of one, one thing, one last question on that that I'm curious about. So was it a requirement for you to know a little bit of German or is that something that you acquired there? And the reason I'm curious about this is that Germany is actually one country that in recent years has uh, made its um, education much more accessible to students around the world by providing entire master's degrees taught in English. So I'm curious uh, whether, uh, whether you had to have a command of, of German. No, actually, because we were international students, so our curriculum and the subjects that we were being taught was in English. But of course, mm -hmm. as a side um, to learn, you know, the language of a country we're going to live for a year or two, right. that was fun. And I tried to take some language courses, but the, our entire curriculum and education was in English. Mm -hmm. So um, I'd like to move on to talking a little bit about uh, Code to Inspire, the the very, very inspiring organization that, that you founded. And um, I'd like to start by sort of asking you a broad question. Now, you know, there are many things you could have focused on when wanting to 
set up an organization aimed at empowering girls and women. And, you know, there are, of course, many different approaches and strategies at uh, um, uh, towards trying to achieve that goal. Why coding? Why did you pick coding? So I want to start with that general question because uh, it's, it's something I'm really curious about. Well, to me, and knowledge is power and technology is the tool for this empowerment. And I think that's the reason that I um, became a global or a digital citizen of the world, you know, being a refugee and facing discrimination, um, the physical and geographical borders uh, oftentimes make you, uh, the mobility become a big issue. But if you are a digital citizen of the world, it doesn't matter where you are. Um, you can, you know, uh, use uh, a laptop and internet connections. You can explore the virtual world. You can connect with people without anyone actually preventing you uh, from doing that. Um, and even you can keep your identity private. And I think that's something very powerful, especially for country like Afghanistan, where women have a big issue of mobility. Uh, not in past, and of course, right now, it's what's happening in Afghanistan and the Taliban taking over, um, but also accessing to you know resources such as education, workforce, um, and, and that's the reason for me that I thought um, coding or any technical skills that can you know help you to access the global economy and workforce from the safety of your home or. A workspace that you can access to those resources is very empowering and um, it can help you, you know, to make money, bring income to the family um, and also like be, you know, exposed to the rest of the world and learn about uh, the rest of the world in a very safe space and setup. Um, and that was a reason for me to establish code to inspire as uh, the first coding school for girls in Afghanistan to make sure that not only we will increase the number of girls and women in a tech sector in Afghanistan, but we can create a better ecosystem, sustainable ecosystem for women in tech and also workforce so that they can access the equal resources such as men uh, in that field of study. And you're so right. Um, I love the way you framed it that, you know, knowledge is power and that on top of that technology is what sort of enables a much, much broader access. And um, as I sort of think about these sorts of models, um, you know, the one here in the U.S., which I'm sure you're very familiar with, of course, is uh, Girls Who Code, which uh, is also a program focused on um, on introducing Coding to women is really a pathway into expanding um, uh, the the numbers of girls and women in science and STEM fields. So can you describe the code to inspire model for our listeners? Yes, well, code to inspire is a one year educational um, after school program. Um, we have one location as of now in Herat, Afghanistan and um, we've opened uh, the first coding school in November 2015. Um, and since then, we've educated more than 350 students in our coding and graphic design classes. Um, and the age range of our students are mainly 18 to 25 years old. Um, the curriculum that we offer as of now is 
um, focus on web development, web design, like WordPress and then uh, front-end, back-end, full-stack, um, mobile app, which we use Flutter framework, um, cryptocurrency, blockchain, smart contracts, um, uh, graphic design, and then the game, which we use both Unity and Unreal Engine. Um, so it's certainly like different technical skills um, and the classes are being taught in person. So we have mentors on the ground, but the materials are all in English. Um, and I can say that about 60 to 70% of our graduates found job in the community um, and earned um, above uh, average monthly income salary in Afghanistan, just $150. So some of our girls actually making double or triple than the men in the family. Um, and we've outsourced about 40 projects worth of more than $45,000. These are projects that, uh, you know, a girl got paid $100 to a girl who got paid more than $1,000. Um, and of course, the part of our work is to kind of like raise more awareness about uh, the girls and women involvement in, in technology. So we've created a lot of different social impact apps and games geared toward certain problem in the community that we can address. Um, so this kind of like this info that I'm giving to you, it's all like pre-August, pre-Taliban taking over Afghanistan again. Um, and of course, uh, things have changed uh, since then. So, you know, that's a, that's a good um, segue into something that I'd like to ask you about, which is that how was the program received by the male members of your community and where you were trying to set up the program. So again, you know, Afghanistan, like many other countries uh, in, in the region, is a patriarchal culture. And um, of course, you mentioned um, about the Taliban again being in power. So how um, how was this received by uh, by brothers, by uncles, by fathers to see their young women, um, you know, clearly taking on skills that were very new and that that would empower them? Well, at the beginning, when we started the program, um, it was certainly very challenging not only because not a lot of the girls and women knew about coding and how this skill can help them monetize, but also like a lot of the men, um, kind of like when we posted, you know, in social media about our upcoming classes, such as games and stuff like that, they would write comments and say that, uh, you know, like this is useless. Uh, why you spend time on this, the girls kind of get married at the end of the day and then, you know, uh, be at home. Um, so they mm -hmm. didn't believe that that kind of like skills can actually open doors uh, for work for them. And, um, and of course, um, personally myself, I believed in a longer term. So um, it, it just was disappointing to see that a lot of the people who commented were educated people, were educated men, even some from computer science background, even some of my former students. And still they do have this uh, mindset that is useless to have women in the tech sector. Um, but then when we started the program in the um, half of the second year, once our students got graduated and 
we helped them with you know employment opportunities and then they started working and making money and bringing money to the family and then we mm-hmm. had the men like father brother husbands coming to the school and they said we want to check out the school but also like we're very interested because we see that she's doing something on computer which we don't know what she's doing but we know that she brings money to the family and then they became our voice and said we actually you know uh, told our relatives that oh if you want to like send your daughters in a safe space to learn you know um computer skills but also make money you should send your daughters to this place so all of a sudden it happened so organically that through you know the men in the family who became our ambassadors and storytellers they all of a sudden everyone started reaching out to us uh, asking if we have new cohort or classes and how they can enroll their daughters or sisters in the school um, and then over time uh, really we established this Uh, kind of like trusted relationship with the community um, and uh, this national brand that as of now if you ask anyone who wants to send their daughters to you know an only girls coding school they would name our school and we uh, I, I think that was certainly for us a, a, a wonderful uh, kind of like remarkable achievement to be able to create that kind of a relationship with the men in the family who then become your voice and ambassador. And that's really, really powerful, I think, because that's what's going to ultimately lead to change, right? And and sustained change, because it's not just about lifting up the girls and women, but it's uh, everybody around them also changing their minds and mindsets about these issues. And it sounds like that's exactly what uh, the program has uh, managed to accomplish. Um, a bit of a technical question now. I've I've heard you talk about the importance of uh, cryptocurrency and Bitcoin. Um, and can you talk a little bit more about this in the context of uh, Code to Inspire and why why this is so important for the organization? Well, I personally learned about crypto um, early 2014 and. I got very fascinated by the technology and how it's powerful in case of, you know, um, sending and receiving payments and really overcome those financial barriers and um, um, issues that uh, people who are in conflict zones, areas with political instability and lack of infrastructure of financial institutions are dealing and it was very important for me that how in a very private way and safe way you can send uh, crypto um, to, to, to anyone around the world. And, um, and I found it very interesting, especially if it can help women in Afghanistan. So um, when I founded Code to Inspire, uh, one of the other way for fundraising for us was to accept crypto's donation such as Bitcoin and Ethereum at that time, and um, just to try to reach out to crypto community and diversify our funding. So probably I can say Code to Inspire is one of the very early first nonprofit organizations that has started accepting crypto. Um, and then since then, not only crypto was a way for us to fundraise, but also we wanted to see how we can, you know, 
add uh, blockchain and crypto into our curriculum so that we can help more girls to learn about this. And then we partnered with Consensus Academy. We received a couple of scholarships for our students, and then they learned how to create smart contracts, uh, solidity, you know, um, and um, and then of course with uh, what happened in Afghanistan last August. Um, and immediately, you know, the economy just collapsed. The banks uh, got closed. Uh, people's assets and money got frozen. No one could withdraw money. Uh, Western Union also, like for a month, stopped operation. And then even after that, they would have very limited services. Uh, PayPal is not working in Afghanistan even before this uh, political change and stability. So uh, people literally on the ground didn't have any means to access any financial resources and families were desperate to have money and with crypto and our our knowledge we were able to actually send crypto to uh, our team in Herat not only in case of to cover um, and help with some humanitarian aids to our team and staff and our girls but also like be able to continue our operation and pay our students remote work through crypto uh, which they would be able to cash it out at the end uh, was a huge uh, um, step uh, during that time. And I think that was certainly what, um, you know, the, 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 the notion of crypto is to enable people who are in a, um, in, 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 in living in an area that suffer from mm-hmm. sanctions, political instability, dictatorship, to be able to have power over their finances um, and that's what we've done so far mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and can you um, just to take that a little bit further I know you've touched upon it a couple of times but uh, can you comment briefly on what's happening now with um, with the program and how things are on the ground um, with, uh, with uh, the Taliban being um, in power again Yes, well, since early August, last August, uh, the Taliban started attacking Herat. So we closed the school for the safety of staff and kind of like paused our operation. Um, August and September, really, it was um, about more, you know, make sure that our families, staff and their family and our students are safe and they do access to resources such as medical resources underground. Um and then early October, we thought that, okay, how we can, uh, you know, uh, restart um, our classes. And our school actually has been closed since then um, until now. And we are working, you know, to renew our work permit and be able to reopen the school. But then we shifted our entire curriculum online using Google Classroom. And then we gave laptops and purchased internet monthly packages for our students in order to be able to continue their classes from home. Um, and I can say that we were able to at least bring 70 to 80% of our girls back on the track with their uh, online classes, um, you know, daily um, exercises, videos, mentorship, uh, and uh, Q&A questions. Um, so we do that. Uh, although... Um, um, and, you know, um, a lot of our girls who were the main breadwinner of the family, 
um, started like last September texting me and saying that we don't have job because of the Taliban policy and also companies telling them not to come to work. Um, they didn't have any way of, you know, bringing money to the family. And um, it was so heartbreaking to see and read their messages that the, what they're going through, that they even don't have food in, in house and they have either sick parents or disabled uh, family members that they can't afford for their medical uh, expenses. So what we did, we did some internal fundraising um, to identify 100 families of our students to pay for the cash assistance to cover for rent, food, medical expenses, and etc. And then we partnered with the Binance Charity. Um, and um, through Binance Charity, actually, um, we helped all the girls to create a, a BUSD wallet, which is a Binance uh, stablecoin pegged to dollar uh, through Trust Wallet. And then Binance would directly send cash assistance funds to them. And then they would go to the exchange um, people that are trusted and we know them to get cash um, for three months. Um, so that was like a very eye-opening experience for our girls to see how easily they can receive cash assistance in such a private and safe way um, to pay for expenses. Um, so as of now, that's kind of like the status of the school. Um, although we hope that we can reopen the school sometime soon and, and we are actually working on a kind of like a much bigger online platform uh, to scale the program, not only for education, but also for employment opportunities. Well, we, you know, we certainly wish you all all the best as you get things um up and running again. And so this is a good time to talk about funding. And I know you touched on it already. And um, if funders were listening to this, what would be your wish list? What would you want them to know on why they should support Code to Inspire and uh, and what your needs are? And I should say that we'll include um all the links and everything in in the show notes so that those who do want to support the organization can. But what would be your message to funders? Well, you know what? Um, As I said, uh, the girls in Afghanistan are talented. They are the same and good coders as any coders in other parts of the world. So you don't should feel pity about them by giving them jobs you should think that they are good coders and, you know, they deserve to have that job. And that's what I'm trying to do, uh, to create a much more sustainable pipeline of workforce for the girls. Um, if anyone is interested to support us, there's certainly a lot of ways, either in a monetary way of, you know, donating to our cause. Um, if their companies or um, any entity they work with have corporate social responsibility, uh, we would like to be part of that and see how we can work with them. Um, resources such as laptops, internet are very crucial for us. And that's something that we are trying to get as much as we can funding and resources to distribute to the girls so that they can access uh, online education and workforce. But beside that, uh, any, you know, expertise resources, if um, they think that with their knowledge and expertise, they can help us to, you know, build that online platform that we're uh, working on or, you know, help us to create partnership with universities and uh, companies for workforce or remote work. 
um, and reach out a bigger audience, we're happy to talk to them. So um, these are some of the areas that certainly we're looking for help and support to scale the program in the future. So really a range of ways in which um, people can support the organization. And it's not just about a monetary contribution, but it's also, like you said, about partnerships with universities and uh, many other ways to um, really expand the impact of uh, Code to Inspire. Now, um, Farishte, as we reach the end of our conversation, I want to come back to you and uh, you've, of course, talked about the huge impact that Coding to Inspire has, uh, I'm sorry, Code to Inspire has had on um, young women in um, Afghanistan. And as you mentioned, you've now served over 350 women. And uh, I should also mention that uh, you have won multiple awards for your groundbreaking work. But I want to bring the focus back to you, and um, and if you wouldn't mind sharing, you were very young when you founded Code to Inspire, right? How how old were you? Uh, I probably in my mid twenties, or yes, yeah. So it's been seven years since then, and I'm curious, how has the journey affected you personally and professionally, and especially as a woman? And has it changed what you believe about yourself, your community, and the world? That's a great question. I think it's certainly, it was a very eye-opening experience, you know, and very humbling experience. Just the fact that I had an idea on the paper at the beginning, and I had this vision with what I wanted to achieve with Code to Inspire, um, and then started reaching out to people and you know at the beginning hearing a lot of rejections and people not interested to help because that was only an idea on the paper um, right and they wanted to see something that it's working and they would tell me come back to us when you have the school when things are working so um so it's definitely difficult when you want to start something from scratch because uh you do need the, the cheerleaders, some people who can stand with you and, you know, guide you and believe in you. And I think that's what comes when you have a personal network, people who know you for a long time, you know, who believe in you, who know your personality and can come on board. And, and, and that's how I tapped into my very, you know, close connections and friends and people uh, that they know about me and my work. And started talking about code to inspire and ask for their help and expertise but then on the other hand you know i um i did a lot of cold call and reach out and um used linkedin for example as a platform to look for you know expertise and people that i didn't have that knowledge to you know incorporate my organization i needed a legal person um so you know i just randomly found a person i reached out and I got lucky, I guess. She responded to me and she helped filing, you know, my organization's incorporation and IRS and everything that needed for me to be a legal organization. Um, and, and I took a lot of no's when people rejected or said, you know, they, they're not interested personally at the beginning. I felt there's something wrong with my personality or with my work. They're not interested. 
but then over time I get used to the nose but then I I thought that they are not rejecting me and my uh, work it's just not the right time for them to be engaged so um, mm-hmm. I think it helped me a lot to 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 kind of like continue my work rather than being disappointed of hearing no's and 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 and, and definitely you know I knew that this is not something that's going to happen one year or two years. This is something that you may see the result after five or six years. So I wasn't very, you know, um, surprised if I wouldn't see a huge result all of a sudden, especially in the environment such as Afghanistan that you're working. It's just like planting a seed on a rock, you know, like it looks very impossible uh, for the seed to grow on a rock because the, 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 the ground is just so um, hard. Uh, but it, it will take time. I mean, at the end of the day, the seed finds its way into the rock anyway. And, and I think that was what we did. And, uh, and and I'm very happy with what we've accomplished, something that looked impossible. And when you are first, it's always difficult because you are the one who is who are experiencing everything firsthand. Um, but I'm very proud of what we've accomplished and the lives we've changed and, you know, the the work we've done and I think we, we we are excited even in such a dark era for Afghanistan to continue our work and to empower and help more girls on the ground. That is such a powerful message of resilience and with what you just shared and you know not taking it personally and uh, and continuing to persevere. And I think the work that you are doing, what you set out to do, what you've accomplished in these seven years is just um, so powerful for girls and women, not just in Afghanistan, but really young girls and women everywhere. And uh, you are such a role model for them, Farishte, and uh, really an inspiration to uh, women and girls everywhere. So I really, really want to... Thank you so much for taking the time to come share your message today. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much again for having me and giving your platform to share my story. And um, I certainly enjoyed our conversation. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you've been enjoying and recommending the show. I'm your host, Rajika Bhandari. As always, please like us, follow us, and most importantly, subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. All information about the show and show notes are available on my website at www.rajikabhandari.com podcast. And if you'd like to delve more into the sorts of themes we talk about on this show, be sure to get a copy of my new book, America Calling, a Foreign Student in a Country of Possibility. Available wherever books are sold and through my website. And also subscribe to my newsletter. See you next week when I will be back with another conversation about how education helps open our hearts and minds to the world.